Okay, we're going to get into the word for this morning, but uh, before Beck comes up to read, um, we're going to try and get into the passage a little bit today, and um, there's a few points in the passage where I would like you all to be the people, the Israelites, in the story. There'll be a point where you have to stand up and a point where you have to worship, um, and I'm going to be Moses going into the tent, um, and we'll, this will just help us to hear and see what's happening in the story this morning. Okay, Beck. Morning, everyone. Um, so the Bible reading is from Exodus um, 33, verses 7 to 11. Um, yeah. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. <laughs> As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Beck. That was fairly half-hearted worship. <laughs> Alrighty. So, today we're beginning a new series, a seven Sunday journey towards Pentecost, hence the flame-like colours, not actually a tent. Um, and these colours represent the presence of God like that which was experienced at Pentecost when the tongues of fire came down on the heads of the believers, like the burning bush when Moses, uh, God appeared to Moses, like the flaming fire pot in Abraham's dream, like the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites, uh, what else, the, the hot coal that touched Isaiah's lips to make him holy, all over the scriptures. Fire or heat, it represents this presence of God. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's a flame, the Holy Spirit, who comes to burn away all the other stuff in our lives and set our hearts on fire for God. And in six weeks' time, uh, 5th of June, I think, uh, we have a celebration, Pentecost Sunday. And of course, it's far less recognised in the world than is Easter and Christmas. It's not like we go to Big W and see torches and things on sale, <laughs> like we have, you know, Easter and Christmas stuff. But um, it's just as significant a celebration, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. Over these seven Sundays, we're going to be looking at the life of Joshua. Now, you might wonder, what does Joshua have to do with Pentecost? I hope and I think we'll see the link um, in these coming weeks when it comes to Joshua and, and the presence of God and, and, and how God moved and acted uh, in his life. Um, Joshua, like many others before Jesus, was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't perfect by any means. 
Um, but he pointed towards Jesus. His name, in fact, means the Saviour, and, and it's similar to Yeshua, the, word for, the name for Jesus. But God used this ordinary guy, Joshua, in some, some really extraordinary ways. And, and we're going to read about Joshua having the faith to believe God could help his people overcome giants in the land when his friends were full of fear. We read about how he led the people to bring down the walls of a city with trumpets. We're going to read about how he prayed and the sun stood still in the sky, extending the daylight hours. How he led the people through the Jordan River, essentially parting the waters so they could cross. All sorts of things. And the other thing about this series that uh, excites me is that we're joining together with another church. We're partnering with a little church, South Mandarin Uniting Church, that we've been building a bit of a friendship with, as some of you would know. Um, and today, their preaching team are beginning the same sermon series, different topics for the first few weeks, and so you can watch their messages on our website as well at another time if you want. Um, then towards the end of our series, we'll be live streaming down to them. We might even be beaming one sermon from them back to us. Um, and and um, I'll say a little bit more about that as the weeks go on. But for now, uh, I want to get stuck into this, the life of this incredible guy in the scriptures, Joshua. Um, and we're calling, at this point, I'm calling this series Fear or Faith. Um, today, we're going to begin right at the beginning of Joshua's life. So before Joshua chapter 1, before even the few books before Joshua uh, chapter 1, um, right at the beginning where we first meet Joshua in the scriptures. So um, would you pray with me as we get into this? Father, I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this season that we're in in the lead up to Pentecost Sunday and that we get to uh, remember and celebrate that your presence has been given to us, that that same presence that Moses would meet with in that tent uh, that was, was visible in, in a powerful pillar of cloud, that that same presence has been poured out on us and that as we head towards this and as we journey through the life of Joshua as a way to head towards Pentecost. Lord, that you would make this prayer of the church, this ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit, prayer that we don't just pray and then expect you not to answer, but that we believe you'll come when we invite you. Come Holy Spirit, transform us, fill us, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, if you were here in February, you may recognise today's reading from a couple months ago. We read a little bit more of that chapter of Exodus 33, and I preached a message on the most, import, the most important choice, as Moses had to choose whether to go into the promised land without God, though, because God said, I won't go with you, or to choose to say, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Do not send us up from here. And, and this, uh, this occasion takes place a little bit after Moses comes down from the mountain after being with God for 40 days and finds the Israelites worshipping a golden calf they've made out of their earrings and bracelets. Right, And at this particular time, coming down off the mountain and then with the, the tent that we just read about before, Joshua is with Moses, sort of by his side. Now, we don't know very much about Joshua at this point in the Bible. He's only cropped up a couple of other times prior to this in the book of Exodus. Um, but you may have noticed this line, Moses would go 
meet with God in the tent, the tent of meeting, as others watched, Moses would then return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I've read this before and thought, that's really interesting. That's a, like, why include that little, little detail? Um, and initially, I was thinking, okay, how do we want to kick this series off the life of Joshua? We could go Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. I say, be strong and courageous, Joshua. That's a great place to start. Or maybe the Battle of Jericho. We all know the story, right? Uh, or maybe the crossing of the Jordan River. Or sun stands still in the sky. All big, you know, amazing events in his life. And yet... I felt so drawn back to this passage, this one simple mention of Joshua in Exodus 33, many, many years before all that happened. And having studied it a little more, I I realized why this is such an important verse of Scripture, so significant. But I have to take you on a bit of a journey to get there, through the book of Exodus, about 20 chapters of it. Is that okay? You're a bit nervous. Right, I promise we will be done by tomorrow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 20 minutes, promise. 23 minutes, maybe. Uh, so early in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are freed from slavery in Egypt. We, maybe you've, you've probably heard this story, right? The Exodus, the, the release from slavery to the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. There's the let my people go, the ten plagues, all of that. And the final event in this Exodus out of Egypt was the crossing of the Red Sea. So the Pharaoh and his army, they're coming after them again. No, 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 we can't let them get away. And as the waters come back down, it, the, the Israelites, the, the, sorry, the Egyptians are swept away. And, and this is the final thing. They're now free, completely free. And they begin, the Israelites, they begin their journey towards the promised land. This was described as a land flowing with milk and honey, right? Who doesn't like the sound of that? Unless you're lactose intolerant, maybe. Um, Three days in, it's hot, they're thirsty, and they start complaining. Now, you might remember um, there's been research done about how long should the journey have taken. I think it's like 11 days, 14 days, something like that. But they're three days in, and they're whinging. People grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, threw it in the water, and the water, which we read before, was bitter water, so they couldn't drink it. But this became fit to drink. So God turns this bitter water to drinking water to provide for them. Okay, okay, God's our provider. We see that now. A bit later in this passage, he says, I am your healer as well. Um, uh, he's their rescuer. They've experienced that. God's a provider, a healer, a rescuer. So surely we can, we can trust him no matter what happens. But then they got hungry. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, even if it was pig slop. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve. So God, going, oh, stop your whinging. No, he's patient with them. And he says, okay, here's quail and manna, food literally dropping from heaven, from the sky. And it was a lesson in trust because they had to collect just enough for one day. And on the sixth day, they had to go and collect just enough for the seventh day as well so they could rest on the Sabbath. It was a lesson in trusting the Lord would provide just what they needed each and every day. They didn't have to keep asking and begging him. God would provide. Then they journey a bit further to a place called Rephidim. 
And again, there's no water, so they begin to get thirsty again. But surely this time they've seen him provide water and food and rescue them. Surely they trust the Lord. God, you will provide for us, surely. (sighs) Unfortunately not. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And they grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt and make us and our children and our livestock even die of thirst? And Moses is like, I'm paraphrasing now, but Moses is like, what do I do with them? Have you ever prayed that to God about your kids? (laughs) Not me, of course, but um, (laughs) except yesterday. But God is patient. And he brings water from a rock. Again, provides for them what they need, despite their grumbling and whinging and moaning stubbornness so this happens a number of times and then the real test comes because now it's not just we're thirsty or we're hungry but the real test comes because another nation comes to attack them at at Rephidim the Amalekites arrive to attack the Israelites now it's not like the Israelites are a well-organized army at this point ready to defend themselves they're a whinging bunch of tired slaves (laughs) who seem to want to go back into slavery and eat soup rather than wandering around in the desert where God drops food for them out of the sky. And this is where we meet Joshua for the very first time. Exodus chapter 17. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Now we don't know why Moses chose Joshua. Maybe Joshua just whinged less than everyone else. Right? Maybe, maybe that's all it is. Maybe Joshua, a young man at this point, was fit and he was strong and he was able to be a good, a good leader of the army. He's like, Moses like, this guy's my best chance. Maybe Moses saw something in Joshua that others hadn't seen. Have you ever had that happen? Others don't see anything in you, but someone, a mentor, a parent, sees something in you and that others haven't seen and it gives you a confidence, it gives you a courage that you hadn't had before. Maybe, we don't know. We don't know why Moses chose Joshua, but he did. And here's what Moses said. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Right? So Moses is going to stand up there. Uh, I'll stand here. That's it. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses... Aaron and her went to the top of the hill. Now, it seems at first you're like, well, wouldn't Joshua have some questions? So you're just going to stand up there while we go fight the battle, Moses? You're supposed to be our leader. But it would seem Joshua had enough evidence at this point in time that God really does provide for and fight for his people. And so he trusts Moses' plan. He goes, all right, I think I get it. Moses will pray while I lead the people in battle, and God will help us. That's the plan. And Joshua seems to go, all right, I'll trust that plan. If you don't know the story, uh, basically God helps them defeat the Amalekites. It says as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Right? So Moses is like this, and they're winning. Um, but whenever Moses lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and, and propped it under him so he could keep praying like this, right? And eventually Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. Now, all the 
All the Israelites at this point, remember, have experienced the miraculous deliverance of God when he brought them out of Egypt. So all of them have been a a people in slavery and God has rescued them. But it's really only when you're deeply involved in what God's doing. When you're in the firing line, so to speak, and you need to completely trust God that you fully experience the goodness and the power and the saving love and mercy of God. Moses understood that, right? His head was on the chopping block. He's the one going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Pharaoh just could have gone, get out of my way, get rid of you. Moses is at risk. He's right in the center of what God wants to do. And so in that place, he really experiences God's goodness. All the people experienced God's goodness in the Exodus. Moses really experienced it because he's the leader. He's in the front line. So when they're in the desert and they're complaining, why isn't there any water? Why isn't there any food? You don't see Moses complaining. He trusts God. It's all the others that are whinging. What's happening now, partway through the book of Exodus, is another young Israelite is beginning to learn that when you're in the firing line, when you're deeply involved in what God's doing, When you're in the thick of it, there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide, you're on the front line. It's then that you fully and most completely experience God's goodness and his power. Sitting on the sidelines and watching will be safer, but you also won't fully appreciate the depth of God's love and saving power in that place. It's only when you're really involved. So, the story goes on, they defeat the Amalekites. They start to work out, all right, we've got to organize ourselves a bit better here in case anyone else comes, and Moses puts various leaders in place. That's where Jethro comes in. For several chapters then, we read about Moses going up on Mount Sinai, right? If you know the story, he, um, this is where he goes and receives in, these instructions from God, the Ten Commandments. And then seven chapters later, chapter, uh, sorry, five chapters later, tw- 24, Moses goes up a second time, and this time it's for 40 days. And this time he takes Joshua with him. But it's not all the way to the top. So imagine Moses is right up here at the top of the mountain in the glory cloud kind of thing, meeting with God, and Joshua's gone with him, but he stopped a little bit short. So Joshua's kind of hanging on the hillside somewhere. In the meantime, down at the base of the mountain, the golden calf is built, right? So if you don't know the story, it's under Aaron's leadership. He's been left behind to kind of organize them. Um, But basically, everyone's impatient. They want a new god. So Aaron melts all their jewelry and makes them one out of their things. And you and I kind of go, I don't fully understand that. (laughs) Here's what happens, right? Moses at the top of the mountain, people on the bottom of the mountain, Joshua in between. God tells Moses what's happening at the foot of the mountain. God tells Moses they've made a golden calf. They've just lost it. And God says to Moses up here, I'm done. All the other times God was patient, merciful. This time God says, I'm done. That's it. I was patient when they grumbled about being hungry and thirsty. I saved them from the Amalekites, but this is the last straw. Any of you ever got your parents to that point? It's the last straw. That's it. PlayStation's going away. But this is more serious. right? This is serious. They've said, 
this calf is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Completely turned away from God. And God says, I have seen these, says to Moses up here, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, Moses, so my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Um, so it's not like God just snapped all of a sudden. I mean, this is a build-up of these people whinging and complaining and eventually he's like, look, that's enough now. That is enough. Now, honestly, if I were Moses... Sorry, God, but I'd probably say go for it, right? Like, I'm done with them too, right? Moses isn't at risk. He's safe. He, he's been promised greatness. God's like, I'll find your wife. We'll start again. You will be a great nation. But he pleads with God not to do it. He said, don't destroy them, God. He pleads with God to have mercy, and God listens. Now, remember, Moses up there. People are down here. Where's Joshua in all of this? Joshua's in the middle just kind of chilling, you know, day 38, day 39, 40 days. And eventually, Moses finally begins to come down. And, and in the meantime, Joshua has been hearing sounds from below. He's been hearing what's going on. And he thinks it's another army that's come along. He's like, uh-oh, we're getting attacked again. But when Joshua heard the noise... Of the people shouting, he said to Moses, "This is the sound of war. Uh, there is the sound of war in the camp." But remember, Moses has been told what's going on. He says, "No, no, it's not the sound of victory or the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear." So before Joshua sees the worship of the golden calf for himself, remember he's still up the mountain. He realizes, "Hang on a second, God's already showed this to Moses," and I reckon. Moses probably told Joshua, yeah, and I had to plead with God to save them. Um, but even if he didn't, I, either way, Joshua is seeing something here. He's seeing what's playing out. It's another case of him just observing, on the one hand, stiff-necked people, but a gracious, compassionate, patient God. And it's a God who doesn't just be patient and, okay, we'll go again, but a God who speaks and a God who listens when someone meets with him and cries out to him. And God hears Moses and says, okay, I'll have mercy again. So think about Joshua at this point in time. He's been a slave in Egypt and he's been rescued. He's tasted the food God provided from the sky. He's been on the front line and seen how a man praying on a hill has won him and his ragtag army the battle. He stood and waited on the mountain halfway up and realized that Moses being in the presence of God has, and, and, and crying out to God has resulted in God sparing his people again for this heinous act. And now, finally, we come to Exodus 33 that we read today, where Moses sets up his tent. Now, I presume that Moses' tent was not a pop-up from BCF. Um, but as far as we know, where's the entrance to this thing? Uh, over here. As far as we know, it was nothing special. It wasn't a, um, a massive tabernacle like we read about later on. It was just a tent. Moses sets up this tent and it's outside the camp, a place away from all the hustle and bustle to meet with God. It was simply there to inquire of the Lord. 
I spoke a few months ago about the importance of having that kind of a place, away from everything going on, away from the distractions so we can be with God, free from distractions. Maybe this has given some of you an idea. Go buy a tent from BCF and just put it in your backyard and go pray in there. I don't know. But this was the place, right? And we read that Moses entered into the tent to meet with God and a pillar of cloud covered the entrance, the thick presence of God. And we read that Joshua went with Moses into the tent of meeting. Um, Now, I recognize that all of that was a very, very long history lesson to get to this point. So what is the point? I'm glad you asked. In chapter 33, let's read a bit of it again and notice, first of all, what the people do. Not Moses, not Joshua, the rest of the Israelites. It says, whenever Moses went out to the tent, All the people rose like he did before and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Maybe out of intrigue. Maybe just wondering, "Uh uh-oh, is this going to last 40 days again? Right? Last time he went up into the hill, he's gone. Like, what fell out forever? Why are they watching? We don't fully know, but they're watching what Moses is doing. Then we read, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses in the tent. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance to their tent. Now, it's great that they're worshipping God now, okay? That's better than worshipping their gold earrings remodeled as an animal. But notice where they are while Moses is here in the presence of God in the tent of meeting. They are at the entrance to their own tents. They are just back in the camp where they wash their hands, where they eat their dinner, where they kick a ball around, whatever they do. The entrance to their own tents. And really what they're doing is just observing Moses. Their faith is completely dependent on what he does. If he's heading to the tent, they're curious, oh, what's going to happen? If he's in the presence of God with the glory cloud, they're worshipping. Oh, praise God for the glory cloud. If he's nowhere to be seen up on a mountain, they're complaining and building golden calves. Their focus is, their focus is on a man. An extraordinary man for sure, but just a man. Their attention is on Moses, not so with Joshua. Here's the final verse of our reading from earlier. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now, think about this for a second. Here's the three options Joshua had whenever Moses went into the tent of meeting to meet with God. Option number one, he could stay among the people and just watch Moses. He could just be in awe of the cloud of God's presence. Even worship when it, when it happened. Oh God, you're so good for meeting with the man of God, Moses, like that. Oh my goodness, God, we have a privilege to see this. Everyone else is doing that. No problem. At least, at least he wouldn't be worshipping a golden calf, right? He's still worshipping. But presumably, second option, he was invited to go into the tent with Moses. So rather than just standing out on the, on, in the camp and watching, he could go in. He could be in there with him. 
Seeing what Moses saw. Oh, wow, God is really here meeting with us. Experiencing what he experienced. And then when Moses was finished praying, he would come out and together with Moses get questions from the people. What was it like? Oh, was it amazing? What did God say? Is it a real cloud or is it like magical? You know, what, what, tell me, tell me, tell me, Joshua, what's it like to be with Moses? That would be the other option. Notice that both of these options are focused on other people. A combination maybe of being focused on the stiff-necked Israelites who are just standing watching, maybe wondering, or being focused on the holy man of God, his leader and mentor, Moses, and his connection with God. But Joshua doesn't do either of those things. Joshua stays in the tent and meets with God himself. He stays in the tent. He's been so transformed by what he's observed as Moses has prayed and met with God over and over again on a hill, on a mountain, in the tent, that when the opportunity comes for Joshua, he just wants to be with God. He just wants to be with God. His eyes are completely on God, not on anyone else. Friends, my question this morning is, is, are your eyes on other people? Are your eyes on what they're doing? what they're not doing, what they're saying, what they're not saying, who they're worshipping, who they're not worshipping, or are your eyes on Jesus? I, just, I have to confess this is one of my greatest flaws. Over and over again, every day, I let myself think and give my attention to what other people are doing or, or not doing, whether it's godly men and women that I admire and look up to or whinging, stiff-necked people that make me grumpy. I focus on them. I compare to people better than me. I, I criticize people who I think I'm, I'm better than. I idolize. I, I, I criticize. I wonder I, 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 whether, you know, why they're like that or, or I wonder what it's like to be them. And I just, every day I do this, fix my attention on others. I miss opportunities to give my attention to God and meet with God and be transformed in his presence. And what we give our attention to is what we worship. What we worship, we give our attention to. Brothers and sisters, we don't need a glory cloud. We don't need a pillar of cloud. We have something better. We have the Holy Spirit who's been poured out. And so you and I have access to the same presence of God that Moses and Joshua did in that tent. Um, music team, if you can somehow come back to the stage, that would be great. I'm just going to move this over. Thanks, Johnny. As the team come up, I, I recognise um, I'm not preaching this message today for everyone. I recognise some of you are, are happy at your tent, so to speak, uh, observing, worshipping occasionally, and, and I get that. That's, that's where some of us are at. This message is for Joshua's. For people, you feel like you're like Joshua. You want to be in the presence of God and you want to stay there. You want to fix your eyes and your heart 
on God. You don't always feel like you get it right, but that's what you want. Not being distracted, distracted by what others are doing. You know, we've got a, maybe a few teenagers in the room with us here this morning, who because you know, we don't have SuperCal today. And uh, maybe you've been caught up, teenagers or young adults, with what's trending on TikTok or Instagram, what your friends are getting up to. You know it's wrong, but you're tempted by it. But right now, you've been listening to this and going, what's Luke going on about? But somehow, some way, you're feeling like, I want to know God. I want to experience God. That's the one thing I want. I want to help you with that this morning. Maybe you're much older. You feel like you've wasted many years worrying about what people think and you are done. You just want to live for God. And I hope you do something to make that choice and set it in stone this morning. If you're a Joshua, if that's what you feel like this morning, you just want to give your attention, your worship to God and only to God. I want to invite you to be courageous and do something a little different this morning. Um, Rather than every head bowed and every eye closed, please just pop your hand up for me. I see that hand and then you can put it down as you might have experienced sometimes, I want to actually ask you to stand up in your seat. And it's not going to be every head bow, every eye closed, it's going to be every eye open. I want to invite you to stand up. Because by standing, you're saying, I'm not concerned with other people just for this moment. I I just want you, God. And it feels uncomfortable, but sometimes that's what it feels like when we choose God. We want to be in his presence. So I'm just going to count to three. And then if that's you, I just want to give my whole heart and attention to God. I want you to stand. One, two, three. Amen. I'd love to just pray for you. And then as we sing this next worship song, it's a a song of words of God sung over you. You you can sing them along to, to do it that way if you want to. But I want you to just hear these words and let them be sung over you. So, Father, I thank you for each and every person who stood here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that their choice is to follow you with their whole heart and to give you all of their attention. God, I thank you that when they fail at this, you are patient and compassionate and merciful. Even when they uh, fall back into complaining or whinging or comparison with others, Lord, that you don't immediately say, I'm done with you, but you give them another chance. And when they cry out to you for mercy, you're always faithful to be merciful. But I thank you, Lord, that from this day on, empowered by your spirit, you're going to give them a supernatural ability and courage to be able to stand for you, to be able to live for you and give you their whole attention and worship every day of their lives. Father, fill them with your spirit, I pray. Release your presence now, God. Open heaven upon them. Empower them to live a life pleasing to you every day of their lives. Help them not get distracted by other things and especially by other people. That they may give their whole, their whole selves to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. Father, as we stand and as we...